Welcome to Calling Operator. The podcast where we speak to operators in some of Australia's biggest startups. Find out how they got there and what their impact is. Connecting to Lance Hodgson, VP of Marketing at SiteMate. Hi, Lance, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paloma. Happy to be here. So to just start off, the first question I'd like to ask is, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up um, in Perth, so Western Australia. Um, so yeah, I spent the first kind of 17, 18 years of my life in Perth. And then, yeah, headed headed overseas from there. And overseas, where did you head to? So I went to the UK first. So I actually pursued soccer when I was younger. Uh, so went out went out there when I was, yeah, I think it was 17 initially and then moved out there when I was 18. And then, yeah, stayed there for for a couple of years. Yeah, played played for a decent club there. And then, uh, yeah, got offered some scholarships actually to play soccer. So, yeah, ended up going out there and um, spending about four or five years in the U.S. before heading back to Oz. So your scholarships were for soccer to go to the U.S. And what were you studying when you were over there? Yeah, so I went, I actually didn't end up going on a scholarship. It was kind of interesting because I, I went to go pursue soccer and studies. Um, but I, but the schools that I, I kind of could have gone to were in different locations to the girl that I met while I was there in California, which is my now wife. So yeah, basically ended up going to, to California and just focusing on studies really and working as well. So yeah, studied, studied business marketing. Nice. Yeah, that's interesting. I think most people I've spoken to have, who have attempted to go to the US on a sports scholarship have ended up not taking the sports scholarship for whatever reason. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's a good entry point and it and it gets you thinking about kind of optionality, uh, which I think is is interesting. And yeah, I was at an interesting juncture in my life where for me, it was like, do I pursue soccer now and, and you know, continue down that path or, or do I, yeah, do I do something a little different? And yeah, for me, it was kind of, kind of became clear the the direction that I wanted ahead. And, and luckily it aligned with you know, personal life and stuff like that, which was handy. Yeah, for sure. And was soccer sort of like, was that a childhood thing that you were really into? Yeah, I yeah definitely grew up loving soccer. It was my whole life uh, for quite a while. So yeah, up until I was probably 18, 19. And yeah, definitely wanted the the dream career uh, for sure. So, But then when it, when it became like, do I want to be 25, 28, 30, like, playing in, you know, even, even like good division, but not necessarily like full-time pro and, you know, highlights and premier league and stuff like that. It, it kind of becomes, well, yeah, do you, do you then go all in on that? And, you know, you come out of that when you're 35 years old and you don't have, you know, a degree behind you and experience or do you, do you go down that path and then, yeah, build, you know, build a bit of a career and just focus on, so yeah, it was, it was kind of just a walk in the road and I just made the, the conscious decision to go down that path. Yeah, no fair. And question as well, like was moving overseas from Perth something that you would have thought of without the soccer element? Or do you think, like for me, studying overseas was something that I just never, I don't know why, I just never was an op, like it wasn't something that I thought was an option really. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know, to be honest. Like I haven't <laughs> really thought about it because I just went to the UK for soccer, but I, I guess I can't imagine having stayed in Perth after well, I was kind of 17, 18. So I think I would have gone somewhere or done something. I, I actually just can't even envision myself still there. So maybe it's just for a while, but yeah, can't even, can't even see myself there, basically. That was, that was one of the 
I, I did speak to your wife and she sort of told me the whole story about how you guys met and how you sort of abducted her. But uh, Nice word for it. <laughs> but she did mention how you <laughs> left home at 17, which I think is kind of an interesting, it, it's an interesting part of your history because a 17-year-old is, you know, a very young person to be not just leaving home, but moving very far away from everything you've ever known and how you got there. So then you were studying, so studying marketing and business in California? Yeah. And was the marketing, because you're in California, was the discussion around startups or was the discussion you're going to go into a multi-corporate or a big consumer brand? And was that kind of the skew on how you were being taught? It wasn't, they didn't really kind of like pigeonhole in any way. It was not general, general business thing for the most part. Like when... Even when I started to think about um, work experience and stuff like that was, yeah, it wasn't even really directed, to be honest. It was obviously California was an amazing market, right? You've got, I actually ended up working for uh, the Hollywood studios, which is kind of like classic, you know, being in California. But yeah, like there was no real direction. Like I just kind of fell into that and didn't even think about startups. Had, they weren't even on the radar at all, even being in California, because wasn't in Northern California, obviously South, Southern California, the startup scene is still still good and, and decent, but not, you know, not San Francisco and, and not seen in any way like that. So yeah, just basically when Hollywood studios and then, and then from there, but no, it wasn't, wasn't really guided by anything to do with the studies specifically. Yeah, that's interesting. And so how long ago are we talking? Just like roughly 10, 10 years ago? Yeah, probably 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I think I graduated when I was 44 and I'm 31. So I guess seven, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago. Around that. Yeah, yeah, it's always interesting to put that in context, right? Because like the startup scene, even in the US, has changed a lot. But I mean, mm -hmm. particularly has here as well. So then, Universal Studios, were you? What were you doing there? Were you just? Did you meet celebrities? Was it? <laughs> imagining like a coming of age story set in Hollywood. <laughs> so I worked for CBS Studios initially, um, so mostly mostly television, and yeah, met met heaps of celebs, uh, which was which was super interesting, right? I mean, and kind of funny and. Know, being there but yeah met, met a bunch and yeah that was cool i was basically i actually went into strategic sourcing initially so procurement basically and worked the 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 person who kind of like chose me to intern there she she knew i had a marketing kind of lens so like i, I was doing analysis on the marketing spend in terms of their procurement side so that was kind of how i got involved and then we yeah did some events and stuff like that which was kind of like the first you know marketing stuff I did uh, in that regard. And then, you know, after CBS, I went to Sony Pictures Television, Sony Pictures Studios. And yeah, basically there I was doing kind of graphic designing type stuff. So uh, helping with like billboard design and a lot of their kind of digital assets and yeah, building kind of email marketing templates and imagery and stuff like that. Yeah, did that for a couple of years before, before heading into the startup. And was all of that, like the design and the sort of, I guess we'd call it like early stage email automation, right? Was that all something that you'd learned in your degree or was that kind of a self-taught? Yeah. Self-taught. Self I, I think, yeah, like the degree was definitely foundational for sure. Like I, I definitely, it definitely formed my thinking, but almost everything that I value has been, in terms of marketing, has been self-taught. Mm, yeah, no, I think I've noticed that with most marketers as well yeah i mean there's there's really no other way to, to do it i think you kind of just have to and that that was my that was my thinking around going into startups is like 
get on the ground floor where you can actually do all of the marketing stuff. And then you have to learn, right? If you're, if you're doing it and you're doing it all, you have to learn it. So that was, that was my thinking basically. So yeah, let's talk about how you kind of made that transition then. So obviously early life was very soccer. And I mean, I think there's a lot of zeitgeist at the moment around how athletes make incredible startup operators. So we can delve into that, but how did you kind of make that switch from essentially sort of media, let's say like a media organizations into that startup world? Yeah. So after doing it for a couple of years, like I enjoyed working at this, but it was kind of hard to see where to go next. It was kind of like, you know, I can kind of stay in what I'm doing or like a coordinator role or something like that. But I didn't see like a clear, and I guess like a rapid path up the ladder. Um, so yeah, like. I kind of just was, was looking around and yeah, came across a few startups and I, it was actually interesting. The applications were really interesting because of more detailed and like they are questions about like, why I could be involved with this? Like, cause they were asking, why do you want to work for a startup? You know, what interests you in not working for us? And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like I can actually write about why I want to be involved and like separate myself in that way rather than, you know, resume and just going into the most entry level position and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, was super lucky to be honest, to, to fall into the startup. I did it. It ended up being a rocket ship that was already a rocket ship when I joined, but yeah, it was, was awesome because went in at like a really great stage, but also exposure to really smart people. So it was, it was the perfect kind of entry point into startups. And what was that? What was that organization or company? Yeah, so they when I joined, they were called the Mobile Majority. Uh, so it was an ad tech platform. And then I've changed their name twice then. So uh, while I was there, I acquired a company called Gimbal and then took on the name Gimbal, which was interesting. But it was a spinoff out of Qualcomm, I think. So it was kind of like had the big brand. So yeah, we, we took on their name. And then, yeah, they've, they've since changed. To, I think they've had change three times, but now they're, now they're in Philian, uh, and still, still ad tech uh, side of things. Cool. And again, so ad tech, so that would have been like early stages of MarTech and early stages of kind of those buzzwords. So interesting place to be too, right? Cause that helps build on those foundational skills that you were already talking about learning. Yeah. I think, I think the most interesting thing was it, it was like very kind of data driven and like making decisions was kind of really oriented around that and positioning was super interesting because it's such a complex landscape in tech. So you've got, you know, so many players and like, it's actually hard to articulate where you sit in the ecosystem. So it really helped kind of me understand, okay, you know, how do you position yourself? How do you differentiate yourself? Not just, you know, on a marketing website, but also index and stuff like that. Like, how do you talk about how your company is different when it looks super similar to, to a lot of other ad tech platforms? So yeah, I think inadvertently it, it you know, it's helpful and was helpful in a number of ways. And you think inadvertently that also sort of set you down the path? I mean, were you at this point definitely going to be in marketing regardless of kind of what industry? Like that was your, that was your section? I think so. Yeah. I've always loved writing and I feel like the, the most writing oriented business function is pretty much marketing. So that was kind of the main reason. So yeah. And once I got into it, I loved the, the blend of design writing strategy that kind of stuff so yeah once once i was it i was like oh yeah this is actually pretty sweet like i'm not not going to do anything else so moving on from that i wanted to touch on the communication thing because this was something that your wife said you are a master communicator when it comes to both like written and verbal which scared me as a 
podcast interviewer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, talking about writing as well, and particularly this is a bit of a side topic, but, you know, are you scared of chat GPT? No. I actually had a conversation at uh, like a Christmasy type dinner of another rather day. And yeah, it kind of, I don't know. I think, I think so many things in like the startup and tech space are just like squirrels and kind of just distractions. Like it isn't, you know, is it important? Like, you know, yes, we'll, we'll see, you know, what it, what it kind of develops into. But I guess having worked in ad tech as well, pretty quickly, like, a, you know, oh, this new tech and like, it's like okay, well, what does it actually mean? What does it do? Yeah, it's, it's good. But like, I don't know, like the way I think about it is it's like, if you, if you ask a person that, and they came up with that, that answer, like you wouldn't be that impressed. And that's essentially what it's trying to do is to replace humans. So it's kind of like, well, until it's more impressive than a human. Yeah. So it's interesting, but um, no, until, until it becomes more productized, I don't, I don't think uh, it enters into the kind of like main thinking. And then before I ask this question, do you want to give a quick intro as to your current role and where you are and what SiteMate do for those who don't know? Yeah. So yeah, SiteMate is a software company um, based out of Sydney and yeah, globally distributed and sells software to built world companies, like maybe industrial company, so oil and gas, mining, construction, forestry, marine, anything along those lines. In a nutshell, software, broadly speaking, would, would fit in like the project management type bucket. So yeah, just designed specifically for, for those type of companies. And then in terms of what I do, yeah, VP of marketing, been at the company for like four and a half years so yeah started started early and then yeah obviously kind of own the marketing function but a bunch of other stuff still as well uh from the early days so yeah looking to offload some of that stuff soon i think that's that's a common theme for anyone that's been listening to this podcast is that particularly when you enter at that early stage you, your role is slightly i don't want to say irrelevant but it's definitely not the only thing that you're going to be doing every day no and i was an i was an sdr for uh, like two years of my time at at site, mate, as, as head of, head of marketing. So yeah, you kind of do, do what's required, right? Um, if you believe, if you believe in the company and the mission, then like putting your hand down is and, and making it work is, you know, is worth it. And that's also another interesting point, right? Like I think a lot of the time this idea of joining a startup can be sort of romanticized and I, and I know why, because I think when you're personally a part of building something, it is one of the most like insanely incredible feelings in the world. But I think you kind of hit a point there, which is like, you also have to really believe in the company because it's, mm. it's not a job, right? Like it's kind of, it lives, it exists between a job and a lifestyle. Totally. Yeah. Like I, I like, um, when like, yeah, at the moment, Elon Musk is doing some funny stuff, but in terms of like the way he thinks about work-life balance, I, I like it because, you know, do you see them as a separation? Like if, if you enjoy work, then what is the difference? Yeah. To me, to me, you have to believe in it to do some of the hard graphs for sure. Like, otherwise it's just like, if you don't see light at the end of the tunnel and you don't see it getting to where you want it to get, then it's, it's harder to do, to do some of that, uh, elbow grease. Yeah. And also to like, sometimes be comfortable with the fact that you don't have those processes. I've noticed people that come in from super corporate backgrounds, which I think is great. I think it just takes a little bit more time to, to break that line of thinking. But you have to be, you have to be really into it because you're not leaving at five every day and not in a hustle culture, work all the time way, but just in a way that if you're building something, you're thinking about it. 
Yeah, totally agree. And I think that can even be romanticized, like the working, working groups of hours and stuff like that. And yeah, we've just been through phases, I think, at, at Sightme, like having always worked a lot. Um, I've always worked nine to five at least, but uh, yeah, haven't, haven't always worked too much, but yeah, it's phases, right? With, with different things that, that happen. So yeah, I think you've just got to be more flexible and you can't, you can't expect to just like check out um, in the same way that you can at corporate. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also, there's probably just certain personality types, right? Like I love that up and down of being like, it's really busy right now. So I am switched on probably more than I should be. But in those times where it's not, I'm chilling. Like we're doing the work, we're having fun, we're getting it done. We're always doing our best. It's always like, you know, when to put the brakes on and when to accelerate because you have to view yourself as almost like a resource and make sure that you're refilling the cup. Yeah. And, and ebb and flow is interesting. Right. That, that I think is what is interesting about startups is that there is, it is dynamic. It changes a lot. So yeah, totally agree. I think that you have to be, have to be kind of invested at the level that, that yeah, you're going to, going to enjoy that type of area. So the question I was about to ask you too is, so you're in SiteMate, which yeah, so software for the built world, I think is kind of the, yeah. the tag yeah. line that we're going to use in this particular. Sounds good. You should be our VP marketing. You mentioned that, you know, you started in that tech space, so you've had a really good appreciation for that data-driven metrics way of working, but then you're also a writer, which means that you are quite the sort of creative and I think with sport as well, right? You're quite creative type of. So how do you bring that balance of creativity and data and metrics? And do you only ever operate in the sense of this says it's going to do X, Y, Z, so I trust it? Or do you have that kind of gut feel intuition marketing way of working as well? So yeah, definitely an aspect of, of gut instinct for sure. I think that, I think that a lot of it is, is just, yeah, it's just a blend. The, the creative stuff usually comes first, which I think is, is kind of the, the easiest part of it as well. Like, you know, you do the thing, which is like semi-creative and then you, then you score the things, which is data driven. So it's the flow is kind of natural, right? And like makes sense. It's like, you know, do the creative thing, establish something, create something, and then measure it. So to me, it's just closing the loop on the creative thing. Because as a as a relatively logical person, I can't imagine just creating something and then being like, oh no, it's gone into the abyss. So yeah, it, to me, it's just closing the loop on what I've created, right? It's like, okay, well, well, what what did that do, basically? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I both the people I spoke to before this sort of talked about your pragmatism and how you're a very kind of driven person but it's a very pragmatic answer to a lot of things this is how it works so that's why we do it yeah i think it's annoying for a lot of people uh i don't know it's just the way the way that you know i i guess i view the world i actually think i've become more like that as well i don't know why maybe maybe i work in the site made a little bit and I even found when I set up Salesforce, I became more like logic driven, which was kind of interesting. I was like started to see the world in, in that way. So yeah, who, who knows? So kind of talking not so much specifically about SiteMate, but I guess about your journey, like what has been your biggest learning or hurdle about who you are and how, and, and obviously I think it's pretty fair to say that most of us work is what, 75, 80% of our lives. So it has an impact on you. How do you think that these roles and moving into startups and working with software and being that pragmatic market, how do you think that's kind of changed you or shaped you? I don't know that it, that it has changed me. I think it, it like augments you. It, it becomes a part of you in some ways. But the interesting thing is I'm not actually a very identity driven person. So I don't see myself as like working in the startup realm. You know, I, I don't, 
that's just not part of my identity. Even being a marketer is not really part of my identity. Like my identity is really fluid. So I just kind of like take what I've learned and don't think too much about it and just kind of come with it. I've been told that you're very good at separating your personal life and your work life, which I think is actually kind of an interesting nugget because I think a lot of people in this space, sometimes their personality kind of becomes their work life a little bit. And I see why, back to what we were talking about before, which is you have to really believe in it. And in order to do that, like, slog, you really need to kind of be, I guess, all in. But how do you, how do you keep those things separate? Like, how do you have Lance who can be Lance and then have Lance who is really great at his job and I think I've always just compartmentalized parts of my life, you know, from when I was younger. Like, like I said, I think it's the identity thing mostly. I, I, even when I played soccer, I, I played a lot of soccer, but like that wasn't like who I thought of myself as. So like to me, I, I compartmentalize it because I don't care that there's not overlap. I, I think I'm really true to who I am across, you know, across the, the different kind of arena. But yeah, I think it's quite easy and like, to me, it is interesting with people because like, I don't know, it, it, some people love sharing who they are and, and talking about themselves, but I'm more of a, and it's not going to come across like this in the podcast because I'm talking, but I'm definitely more of a listener than a talker as well. So I, I think, I don't think I really come across in that, that wrong way. I, I think people, I just kind of, you know, ask questions essentially, which then you're not really talking about yourself because you're asking questions, but then. I don't go into work and talk about my family because I don't really want to talk about myself. I want to, I want to talk about other people because that's more interesting to me than, yeah, than myself. Mm. I totally, like, I get that. And I, it, I will just tell everyone that I've made Lance talk about himself. So he's not doing this. He's not doing this by choice. I think it's an interesting thing that you've kind of put forward because that staying true to yourself, I think it's, it's really good advice. And so kind of taking that, how would you describe how you operate in the workplace? You're obviously at a, a stage where I think you really know who you are and probably a lot of people that are listening to this are getting there or on that journey. So how do you view how you operate? Yeah, I think it definitely comes back to how you have grown up and your interests and stuff like that. At least the way I think about myself when I played soccer and sport is I used to really break down every aspect of an activity. Like I was, you know, I was always thinking about, well, this is just like a bunch of components stacked together to create an outcome, right? Like if you're if you're 10 bowling, then you can break it down in, you know, walking up to the line and like your technique and, you know, all of those things. So I think I'm just similar at work. It's just break it down into components and, and ways to think about it. And then just kind of go from there. Like if you, if you understand the pieces, then it's quite easy to improve. It's like understand it first and think about it first. And then like, you actually don't need to make too much of a leap to just improve because it's like, okay, well now I know how to break it down so now I can just like improve each of those aspects. And is that innate or is that taught? Is that something that you, because uh, I mean, to me, the way you're talking is it makes sense, right, that you work in a sort of engineering heavy area because that's like a, a very methodical way of looking at challenges or problem solving. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's partly personality and definitely has been, has been for them size, like working with SiteMate and Hartley specifically, I'll see, yeah. Yeah, I think the other aspect to me about how I operate does also stem largely from what and like the way I think about life, which is just consistency. Mm. Like all, all I think about with most things is, and it's a great example, like podcasting, right? It's really about consistency. Yes, it does quality matter. Of course, like, you know, 
that the inputs matter. Yeah, of course. But like, if you looked at the driving force behind almost anything and mm. any level of improvement and any company doing really well, any individual doing well, like it's, it's comes back to consistent. I think that's a very interesting point too, because oftentimes we hear stories about, you know, I'm going to use two of the biggest examples, like Canva have made all this money and, you know, dominating globally. Atlassian have made all this money and dominating globally. And I think often we think about Canva and Atlassian today without realizing that these companies have been around for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And to go back to your point, the real thing there is consistency, right? Like everything can be done well if you just keep trying and to your point breaking it down understanding well why did that go badly totally yeah and and being intentional and consistent like i think that's the combination it's like if if you're consistent and intentional Mm. then the outcomes are going to be really good because like if if you if you learn you're intentional about how to improve then there's a there's a term in sport like deliberate practice Mm. which is changed my whole and i actually did do it inadvertently when i used to play sport and then like someone put a label on it i was like oh that's when it's full and it it is that it's like breaking a thing down and then like practicing each element and then like you can moments into like a a game Mm -hmm. like like the game and then the what comes out i usually really good so now i think i think Canberra and Elephasing are great examples and i think people miss the point now because they're so far down And the line, but hundred percent, it was just it was just consistency and being intentional about like the vision, mm-hmm. and then having a clear path, to, you know, to that vision. Like without that consistency, you don't you don't get anywhere on no. that path. <laughs> and so diving into that intentionality thing as well, I think I hear people talking about being intentional a lot, especially in this space. If you were talking to your younger self, how do you describe using intentionality or being intentional? in a way that is that was the example that i was thinking of actually yeah so i think most of it's like i guess you could probably use the word thoughtful uh like interchangeably because i see a lot of people early in their careers and they kind of let that happen so they get into a role and then they you know they like do a good job or a decent job or an average job um but they're not thinking about like what they want to do next they're not being intentional about like creating the inputs and the type of outcomes that will like get them to the next step or a different direction, right? If you want to change direction, then you should be intentional about what you're doing outside of work or what you're doing in your role or how you're talking to your managers or whatever. And so much of it is just like having clarity. I think as well, like being intentional and and having clarity around what you do. Like when I went into startups, I pretty much in my head was like, okay, go in as like marketing intern, become a marketing coordinator super quickly. Um, so just try to be a good intern, essentially. That was kind of the next step there. Um, from coordinator, like, you know, learn from a good marketing manager, right? What does that kind of look like? Um, learn enough about a few channels to be able to manage. And then it was like, okay, now I need to go to like a really early stage startup so that I can be lifted kind of with the startup, you know, in my career. And then you can become the head of marketing, like, you know, pretty easily uh, if the company grows because you know everything because you're on the ground floor. And then that just you know, turned into head of marketing and then luckily, you know, or maybe not luckily, but, you know, SiteMate went on to, you know, be a good, a good company four and a half, five years later. And said, you know, now my title is, is VP of marketing. Uh, yeah. That, that for me was very intentional. Like I, that's how I saw it evolving. Basically. I think there's a good point along that road too, though, right? It's not just about title jumping, right? The other thing that you kind of mentioned there was learning. That's number one. There's no point in being a VP of marketing if you don't know what you're talking about. 
you're going to get found out very quickly. So it's learning at that junior stage where you're, where you're afforded mistakes and then pushing yourself into that early stage where you, then the buck is on you and you have to figure it out. Yeah. And then you need to be intentional about your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing there. It's like, yeah, just be intentional about bolstering your weaknesses, basically, and, you, and using your strengths. And then that's the other thing, like just double down on the things that you're good at mm. and Everyone, I assume everyone kind of knows what they're weak at. So like, you know, be intentional about improving those things. And then, you know, six months, a year later, you're way better than you were. And then, you know, the titles that just happen, right? It's just a mm. collective and being intentional about improving, basically. So like going back to that working on your weaknesses thing, because I think that's a really interesting point as well. Would you say that there's been points in your career where you've been like, I really need to learn how to do X, Y, Z? And gone out and just done 100%, 100% all the time but i mean I'm, I'm super thankful that we live in the age of google because otherwise it would be do marketing before the internet that's what i want out of people do anything like yeah it was it's it's currently the demand to even imagine that but now to me there's no excuse not improving I, I don't even understand that because all of the information that you need is is at your fingertips so yeah i think one of one of my good friends actually talked about it a bit and he says there's there's only really two things that drop people for like doing the things that I could do or should do or and, uh, and it's just fear and like and i think it's pretty true like you're either kind of scared of putting yourself in an environment where you're out of your depth mm. which is probably like oh but like you know also good to do that mm. or you're you know or you're lazy in a glass so um yeah i think you know but but if you can get beyond those two things then and that to me is like the level of just like you can get beyond fear and laziness, then the rest is pretty straightforward. And that kind of goes back to that idea that you choose your luck. And it's not, you know, we talk about luck a lot, but and you even just said it before, right? Then I was lucky yeah. enough. But it's not luck. You, you've you worked at it and you've been consistent and intentional. And it's led to a result because very much like any kind of marketing strategy, if you know what you want to achieve up front, you understand what you need to do to achieve it, and then you measure the success of that thing, and then redo it again. Chances are, you're gonna it's gonna work. Yeah, like like is a super interesting one. I don't know if you've listened to. Here's how I built this. The podcast, and he always asks to the founders, and like, how much of your journey was to do with luck, success, hard work, and persistence and smarts. And I always love and gravitate towards the people who put a lot and like their journey onto luck. And I think it's just like, maybe it's partly being Australian or, you know, or whatever, but I don't know. I still think, I still think you do need, you do need luck. Mm. And I think putting it on luck is like also a good thing because then what you do is you do everything that you can and then understand that the other stuff is outside of your control. So it's kind of like, okay, well, luck's a factor. Like, I'll just do everything that I can. And like, who cares about the outcome? Because I'll just blame that on luck. If, if it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. And then you obviously take the successes as hard work and persistence, but you can just say, well, bad timing. No, or, or not, right? <laughs> or, yeah, or that was luck as well. Like, I think the interesting thing, yeah, I think sometimes you have to look at yourself from the outside as in you're like an object within the world. And then if you do, you remove you remove fear and stuff because mm -hmm. like you're kind of just a player and then it's like okay well like if something goes right like you know good for Lance if something goes wrong oh, that's a shame man you know like <laughs> pick your head up you know it's like it's that kind of thing Lance invented meta in his head years ago <laughs> <laughs>
I also think luck is an interesting topic in all of this because I I also believe that there's a certain amount of luck just in our circumstances, right? You were born as someone who was good at sport and in a country that was wealthy and you were born with a good brain. And I think I think about this a lot of the time as well. People like you and I were born lucky because we we do fit into the way that our world it's like we fit into that kind of commercial capitalist mentality the things that you and I are good at are very useful in society so like that is incredibly helpful but if you're born in 2020 and you're an incredible bootmaker, like what are the chances that you're even going to find that yeah zero and that's what I mean like you can never not put heaps on luck like, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like such a, such a big piece because, yeah, even to me, like personality is just luck, mm. right? Like you're, you're born with your person. And it's funny because I, I always say people talking about like morning routines and stuff. And like, I've, I've always been a morning person and I, I don't really have like a morning routine, but I always wake up early and I actually think it's a massive advantage. Yeah. But I, I never like tried to do it. Like I didn't, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm just lucky that like I wake up early in the morning, you know, so. There's all of these factors to me. That's just how the cookie crankles, right? And you've just kind of got to run with it. And then, okay, so moving kind of on, if you were to give yourself some advice early on in your career when you were more junior, and I think, you know, usually this can go across different, it doesn't just have to be marketing advice, right? Like, what are the things that you either wish you had done better or feel in hindsight were massively important to your growth? Yeah, I think uh, I think if I was to go back, I would like reinforce some of the thoughts that I thought were maybe true, mm-hmm. and and I didn't know it was true. So like, it took a while to to kind of like you know see them play out. Like as an example, earlier in the the conversation, we talked about like being yourself, and I had a conversation with someone early in my career about that, and I was like. I was so sure, like, no, you can be yourself and be successful. Like, but I couldn't say that with, with any certainty because I didn't have a career, right? So mm-hmm. it was like this weird position to be in. And, and she, you know, she was like, no, no, you know, you need to alter your old personality slightly, you know, it's just, oh, I just, I don't think it's true. Um, <laughs> so I think if I went back, I would say those things because, you know, it would help just like eliminate a lot of kind of things out. So there's a ton of stuff that you learn as you go, but. I think like first principles and stuff is, is overused like now as like a term, but I think, yeah, mostly thinking in those ways is super helpful. And what I say to myself is like the basics are what matters more, more than anything else. I don't think there's, I don't think there's, you know, too much to it. It's just do things pretty well, mm. stay consistent, think about it. So it's less complex, but yeah, if I, if I was to go back, it would be, it's probably less complex that you think yeah yeah and i think you know another thing we kind of touched on before of like knowing your strengths and knowing your weaknesses one thing that i've noticed and has been sort of like reaffirmed through doing this podcast is your confidence and your your credibility is more when you're really honest about what you're shit at and i think like that's another thing right like be yourself and also work yeah work hard do the things try hard experiment, set goals, be intentional, all of that. But, you know, when there are things that you are just not naturally great at, also just be honest about that and pull in someone who's better. hundred percent. And like, even with things that you're good at, like, I think, I think you need to be honest about the things that you're good at. Like this, there's this weird thing, I think with people where like, they don't admit or like, don't 
say what they're good at. And like, to me, that's super weird. Like, you know what everyone else is good at and you live with yourself every single day. Like, you obviously know where you sit relative to other people. So like, why aren't we just being honest? I think that, I hope you agree with this, but I think one of the most important things about, about being in marketing is that openness to always learn new things and kind of change the way you think and be better because you know, as you know, like markets change and, and especially as you're jumping around between different businesses from ad tech to, you know, SaaS products that are built well, you have to be able to kind of question your own biases. So how do you, A, question your own biases and, and B, like how do you measure your own personal growth and success? Yeah, I think um, on like the, the change and stuff like that, I don't know, I think probably one of my strengths is that I don't change mm. that much. And again, I think that's just like not, being squirrely, you know, not kind of changing your attention all the time. Like, again, it's being consistent and intentional, right? Like, if you believe this core thing is going to be a thing, then like, why deviate from mm. that? So I think that's a strength in marketing that is probably underrated. Like, I think most like sales marketing people, not product people, what's the next thing? We need to do that. And it's like, well, how about do the thing that like, you know, bring all these other massive software companies that are already there, like, you know, it's all this AI and it's like, what about sales plot? Like, have you, they're still building software, you know? So to me, I think that's, that's kind of a strength. How do you define that line though, of some of the, you know, some of the most exciting new ideas that we all herald as incredible have probably come from being a bit screwy, right? From being like, For sure. how can I fix it? So how do you define that line or... Maybe another question is, do you see yourself purely as an operator? Yeah, I think, I think so more than an inventor, mm. for sure. Mm. Like, do I see myself as wanting to create something entirely or like invent something or do I see myself as going in day to day and like building something? Mm. It's definitely the latter for sure. So yeah, hundred percent. Like you need. You need thinkers like that, right? Yeah. That, that's 100% true. And that they start, you know, amazing companies and amazing technologies. And so you need those, but in my eyes, without the operators, like those ideas, like obviously nothing. So my role is to be strong. Like, and like me, that's, you know, as important as the idea for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about. So I'm glad we got that sound bite. <laughs> but no, I've always agreed. Like, I think, you know, we build up the idea of the founder or the creative or the inventor a lot. And I and I know why, because we all find those stories amazing and aspirational and incredible, right? But you and I both know that once you're in a company, if you don't have the cogs that are turning the wheel, if everyone in the meeting is the person that's like, I've come in here with a great idea, but doesn't want to do the work, then... Great ideas are basically what what is the saying? A strategy without execution is just hallucination. So if you, if you don't have the people that are actually going to turn it into execution, you're literally talking to yourself. Yeah, totally. And I think I think that yeah, the the ideas and it's interesting, even with some of the new technologies, we might see a veer away from execution to ideas being more important if a lot of the groundwork is done by bots and stuff like that. But which would be interesting. But yeah, to me, like, and that's why I was, you know, super keen on, on the, your subject matter is because, yeah, I do, I do think that operators are a bit, well, naturally invisible, right? And like, the thing is, most of them, I think, don't mind being invisible for the most part, which is probably part of the problem. <laughs> but it, it takes someone else 
surface them, yeah. right? And I think that's the interesting thing as well. It's like, you know, yes, you know, balance. We found it sometimes the best operators mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, in that regard, like then 100%, you know, they deserve all the credibility. But from my perspective, it's the operators are definitely like too invisible. Uh, given the impact they have. No, I would agree. I also think that a lot of times, particularly people I've spoken to, a lot of operators are generalists, and it seems to be irrespective of role. So whether you're a marketer or or a product person, it's been really eye-opening to see that, you know, you talking about jumping into a sales role or jumping into a marketing role, I'm sure that there's been loads of other roles that you've done under that VP of marketing umbrella. But I think that's another thing that often gets kind of missed is that you need those people in businesses, particularly in such environments that can do different things and are interested in trying different things. So I think it comes back to that finding people that are interested in learn over anything else. For sure. And I think like good operators, for me, the main thing that probably differentiates them is they find interest and like curiosity in potentially mundane stuff as mm. well. Like. It may not be the sexy thing, but mm. like you can find sexy stuff about sales funnels, mm. you know, and like you know, the way that they're seeing up, like, you know, interesting and engaging. You just have to have the right attitude about it. Mm. So I think that's the other thing. It's like, you know, there's an idea at the top of the tree, which is, you know, founder and, and that kind of thing. But there's also ideas within every single function and every single stage, you know, and, and operators are often like driving those ideas. Like, well, like, why don't we do this? Why don't we tweak it that way? And that sometimes is more impact, you know, than than the idea, right? It, it might be like supply chain or war, you know, or whatever. So that often doesn't get seen either. Like, here's the invention, but like, what about the person that that had the idea to, you know, prepare and that actually had that? Yeah, and I think that, I think that is a really good point too, right? Because a lot of the time, I. have especially younger people, I notice that they're an operator, but you know, loftily somewhere along the line, they'd like to start something one day, which is great. And I think everyone should do that if they can. But at the same time, you are right. Like you have so much control in a business. If you are a operator who works really hard, has proven, you know, their worth in salt, probably your pull in the, in the organization or your ability to impact change in the organization is greater than some people I think so. And the cool thing is, if you're an operator, you can control your idea. Yeah. So, like, if you say, you know, let's do this, or like, this seems like a good idea, and you're operating, you can make it look like a good idea. Yeah, because you're in well. control and you're going to actually do it. Yeah. And like, most of it, if we agree, yeah, I think, you know, it's mostly about execution. Then, if you can execute well and then make your own ideas look good, it's about, I guess, like confirming whether your ideas are good. And like only an operator can do that, right? They can think about something, do the thing, and then say, like, oh, that was, you know, a good idea or not. Yeah. I've been thinking about this idea of internal currency a lot, right? Like, you know, how there are people in businesses that will say, Lance, we need to do X, Y, Z, and I want you to go and execute this idea that I've come up with because I'm the ideas person in this particular function. And you go, yeah, no worries. And you walk away and you do a really good job. And then that credibility becomes like a currency in turn. And then so when you go, hey, I have a really great idea because you've got this currency of, well, Lance is really good at executing things. So his idea sounds good. Like, let's see what happens. And then as you said, You've got all of the resources and all of the ability to just go and smash that out of the park, which just means not not from a role perspective, but just from a personal growth perspective, you start being able to impact change earlier and earlier and earlier. 
in the stage of the business? I think so. And the way I look at ideas is not anyone can have a good idea. And, and, and the interesting thing to me is that was one thing that I got earlier in my career. I'd sit there and I'd be like, I feel like I have a decent idea. And that's one thing we really encourage us. I make like put every idea on the table. Yeah. It's like you're in your role as well. So you typically you should have the best ideas, mm. right? Cause you're like doing it every day. And um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that I try to just assess the idea based on the idea rather than where the idea is coming from. I like yeah. the idea it's, it's separate from the person mm. as well. And it should be seen as that, right? It's like, who cares what the person does? Like, if it's a good idea, it's a, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then you need you need good executors for examples. But yeah, I think I think ideas can come from from anywhere. And again, that's that's a product of your upbringing, and you know that's why diversity and that is super important because mm. it just creates like diverse ideas. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, look, that is something that we're we're getting better at as a as a world or a society. I think. <laughs> so then, going back to, I want to kind of zone in quickly on how you like to manage your teams as someone who likes to control the process like how do you let go of that control and, and help <laughs> teach other people that's a good question it's, it's always hard um but but not really like you know, it's hard until someone really wants it mm-hmm. from and then it's super easy to give it up i'm always trying to get stuff away as i make like it's like oh you, you want this thing like as long as you can you know do it and own it then like have it yeah. So like getting to that state is, is sometimes challenging, obviously, but, um, yeah, I think, I think the way I try to manage is, is just in the way of trying to make everyone as good at, at their job as possible. And like, what can I do to help them? Like, right. Like how can I, you know, steal or orient them? And the interesting thing is most of the time I find that the most impact I feel like I have at least is actually just talking about like general direction mm. you know because most people can do the day-to-day of most jobs especially in software companies like they're not not that complicated like what makes you good is like being motivated and you know and thinking about it and you know caring about it and stuff like that so to me my job is often just like that side of things mm. it's like you know helping them understand where we're going and like you know, where they're going and, and stuff like that. I think it's interesting because probably my biggest criticism of startups, to be honest, coming from a background. I mean, I, like I, I'm working in advertising at the moment and I came from an advertising background. And the interesting thing about advertising is it has that sort of startup mentality or like culture, if you will. But what I will give them a lot of credit for is that as you rise, you are taught how to manage people. And I think my biggest criticism of startups is a lot of the time people put into management roles because they're really good at their jobs. But managing people, as you know, is one of the most difficult things you will ever do aside from your job. And so I think that's a really great answer because that learning that you need to help people figure out what they're good at is more important than managing people or telling people how to do the job. Yeah, and I, to be honest, like I don't see myself as a manager in the, the traditional sense. Like, I, yeah, I kind of, I just want to help the person, mm. you know, become good at, at the thing that they're at the company to do. So I'm mm. like, how how can I do that? I'll pretty much do that. That's basically the, the, the way I look. And obviously, that's super general, right, and, and obvious, but I don't think that many managers do it. Like, I think a lot of managers that look 
PM being managers, like the conventional wisdom, like I'll do one-on-ones and we'll talk about this thing and I'll, I'll teach according to this playbook and, mm. you know, stuff like that. And yeah, I think, I think if you look at it again in, in like relatively simple terms, it, it makes it easier. And I, I think the people can see then that you're trying to help them as well. Mm. No, it's an interesting point. The common theme is like, there's all these titles and labels and mm. stuff in the world, but mm. like, if you strip it back, like, what are you actually just trying to achieve? Mm. And if, if you strip all that stuff away, then like, it's actually pretty simple. Like your job is to make these people better at their job. So, mm. you know, like it, it's not about, again, being a manager or like a title and, and stuff like that. I just think labels and stuff, it's like all alone there are so many people. And again, it makes them not themselves. Like now you're, you're this thing. So like act like this mm. and you got there because you acted in a way that you there so like you should continue to act in that in, in that way largely obviously like not completely so we're gonna wrap up soon but i wanted to ask there's a couple of questions i want to get to the first one is just who's an operator that you've worked with who or not even that you've worked with who you know who you just think is a kind of force in the australian ecosystem and i know you don't really see yourself as like a startup tech bro and i know you're not hitting up the events every week but i'm just <laughs> I'm sure you've met people in your life that you've just been like, wow, like you're a powerhouse. Yeah, definitely not attending all of the events. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a few, definitely a few in the US as well. And there's a couple of companies. The biggest force in terms of like operator that I've met in this family is without a doubt, Harley, for sure. Um, and the interesting thing is looking back, yeah, looking back on the type of operators and and even just like leaders i gravitate towards mm. and this comes from what says as well like i love player managers yeah like i love people who can who can do the things that they talk about yeah that on. to me is like really important mm. and at sidemate we kind of have that culture all of us are operators like tim cto is, is an operator theo hartley is an operator you know i'm an operator and i gravitate towards people like that and that's throughout my career like even when i think about early days it was people who you know they could be in whatever role but they could do the thing that they were involved with better than you know better than anyone so yeah i've learned hate from, yeah. from Hartley specifically and uh yeah i think the interesting thing about like being inspired by people is it's cool especially when you're a junior because you can like pick the things that you like about people mm. and kind of bolt them on to your arsenal mm. as well as you go so yeah you can say oh wow hartley's like such an amazing operator in all these ways and like you know bolt that on like you know he showed me how to do that and then you know from, from previous people they bolt on a bunch of stuff and then you end up you know, hopefully being like a mega person or something at the end. <laughs> that is true. I think I am a product of all of the amazing people that I've worked with. And then the next one is what are some, and I, I don't want to be too prescriptive about this. It's not necessarily like what's your favorite marketing resource, but what are the resources that you think have really helped shape how you operate? Yeah, there's been, I've, I've always been like, I guess the writing thing, like I like reading mm-hmm. when I only read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you only read nonfiction. Yeah, just in general, you you don't ever don't ever dally with the dealing with the fiction. I've read fiction, and then I just started to like. I've started to want to be in the real world yeah, and not but... in not in fantasy worlds. Like I I wanted to think about 
the real world. So yeah, so so yeah, definitely, definitely like reading. I I have a bit of a philosophy on, I guess, consuming content and and stuff and resources. And that's like, I think that you only need to consume so much content about a specific kind of topic or subject before you kind of understand the patterns well enough to move on. Mm. So that's largely how, how I would talk about resources is whatever you're interested in or whatever your next step is in your career, like consume a bunch of content about that thing, but only to the point where you kind of start to notice that it feels like semi-repetitive because mm. you've like, you've heard it before almost. And that, that happens with books. I'll mm. read books about specific topic and then I'm kind of like, mm, so that something's you felt kind of samey, like, and I kind of understand the patterns now. So like, you've kind of gone far enough in that thing to establish the patterns and be able to like talk about it and think about it and stuff like that and then move on to the next topic and that way i think you you really have your knowledge and then you get really diverse set of you know, interests understanding broad perspective then it, yeah, it supplements each you know each topic that you've kind of invested in early days so the only podcast or yeah because books you can't continuously listen to the only podcast i've listened to every episode is actually Free economics. Free economics. Yeah, it's a good. I can understand. And it, it's just because, like, it's so different all yeah. the time. Like, I've never been able to pattern that because it, they always talk about something that's so different, right? Mm-hmm. So I've never found like a point of like, oh, this podcast like felt the same as that previous one because it's always so different. Mm. Is there one marketing resource or book that you think is actually worth? Yeah. You know, it's salt. Like I. I tend to agree with you what you said earlier. I genuinely believe that marketing is one of the oldest professions in the world and it doesn't really need to be fucked with that much. <laughs> yeah, the the best marketing author, mm-hmm. I think by a significant distance, is Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. And obviously, yeah, a lot of people are aware of Seth Godin. And I think it's because he talks about marketing in like a traditional sense and like and a human, a human sense, like not all tactics and strategies, you know, this is how people think, mm. this is how they perceive quality and stuff like that, you know, which, which gets a group of like the human experience, mm. which, which I think is, is super interesting. So yeah, I'd say Seth Godin from a marketing standpoint. I have one question, which is nothing to do with your work life or anything. I just really need to ask you about it. I want to know about the five foods in a year experience. Oh yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I've heard yeah, you, I've, I've heard like for context for everyone listening, Lance is a, a bit of a personal journeyman. He likes to go on personal journeys. Unintentional a lot of the time. But yeah, I guess like, like d- doing activities and stuff, you end up in some funny situations as well. Uh, yeah, I actually picked up a couple of stomach bugs in Pan and then just... Uh, I think it is, I mean, it is a, a disease called eosinophilic esophagitis. So it's like swelling of the esophagus. Yeah. And so it was kind of, like, it was a weird journey because it, it took ages to like even figure out what it was. And I had like chest pains and a sore throat and stuff like that. And then basically there was two parts that I could take. One was, you know, medicine, which was kind of seen as the, the conventional path. And then actually my mom suggested that I go to a naturopath. And like, I never really thought about naturopath. I was like, mm, sounds kind of, sounds kind of kooky. Um, but then I went and, you know, they said, well, you know, you basically screwed up your, your gut microbiome, so you need to like rebuild it. And the only way to do that is to basically go back to like super, you know, non-inflammatory foods. So like basically get rid of everything and then do like 
an elimination diet, but oh, from yeah. almost nothing. So there was a point at which I was eating rice and sweet potato, and that was actually it. <laughs> and then, then I slowly added like literally ingredient after ingredient. And so it took like a year and a half to do it. And I loved it. I loved the journey. And it's got weird. It was, yeah, it was, it was very interesting because I think that's what also keeps me engaged. It's like, probably my life stand right? It's like, it's the, it's the journey and the, the everyday progress that you mm. feel. And it was so interesting because like, actually I'd had a food in and that was like, oh, progress. And I still feel, you know, I still feel okay and like progress. And so this like super tight feedback loop, uh, <laughs> that I had, that I had on, on myself and now it's feeling, uh, and yeah, like it turns out. You know, after all of it, like I, you know, I solved the problem and feel perfectly fine now. And then, oh, and then I solved that problem. And then, yeah, long story. And I um, created a new journey for myself. So, yeah, a bit of a sucker punishment, I think. I think that's really interesting. It, it's a really lovely kind of <laughs> why I like startups is because I like the feedback loop and I like to feel my <laughs> progress is. Well, it's kind of true. It's the same thing. And like, that's why I love sport. Is yeah, I was about like, to say, this, it's the sport You have this well. constant feedback loop on How improvement. Doing. Yeah. And it's like, it's super fulfilling. So, and that actually was played into my thinking around even the resources because I read four or five books about foods and like mm -hmm. inflammation and stuff like that. And to me, it was so mind-blowing because I've been my whole life never even, like I, I, I ate relatively healthy, but I'd never even really thought about it as a mm. thing. One final question, and, and this one is really to be interpreted however you want, but what's your kind of vision for the future? I don't really have one. Mm. I think, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think, I actually, yeah, I've been thinking a bit about it with a couple of things that are going on. And my perspective on it is in the short term, things don't change as fastly as people think they will. Mm. So like, you know, new technology comes out and everyone's like, oh, the world's changing so fast and like, you know, it's ending and all this stuff. And then it's like, mm, probably not, like probably will look pretty similar soon. But what I do think is that like people underestimate what it will look like probably in like 15 or 20 years as an example. And the reason for that is I think it's small incremental changes that compound like pretty rapidly. So like, what do I think the world will look like in a couple of years? Like, I think it'll be remarkably similar. But I do think it'll be pretty different probably in fifteen years, but it's possible to even think about what that will be. Because like without commenting it out and yeah, and thinking about like, you know, the details there, I think it's it's hard to predict. So I don't I try not to think about it too much. I just kind of like, yeah, live in live in the moment and and yeah, you know, do the best you can at Yeah, nice. No, I think there's been like a lot of really interesting tips and, and very insightful bits as to what makes up plants from SiteMate. So I just wanted to close up by saying thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, your host, Philemon Newton, with original music composition by Stephen Shouten and photography by Philip Lemazuria. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.